Chapter Five, Part Two of From Sail to Steam, by Alfred Thayer Mahan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: My First Cruise After Graduation, Nautical Characters, eighteen fifty nine to eighteen sixty one, Part Two. Judging by my experience, which I believe was no worse than the average, the life of an aide is literally that of a dog. It was chiefly following around, or else sitting in a boat at a landing, just as a dog waits outside for his master, to all hours of the night, till your superior comes down from his dinner or out from the theatre. A coachman has a cinch, to use our present-day slang, for he has only his own behaviour to look to, while the aide has to see that the dozen bargemen also behave, don't skip up to the wharf for a drink, and then forget the way back to the boat. If one or two do, no matter how good his dinner may have been, the remarks of the flag officer are apt to be unpleasant, not to speak of subsequent interviews with the first lieutenant. I trace to those days a horror which has never left me of keeping servants waiting. Flag officers apparently never heard that punctuality is the politeness of kings. There are, however, occasional compensations bones i might say pursuing the dog analogy one incident very interesting to me occurred the flag officer had a well-deserved reputation for great bravery and in his early career had fought two or three duels one of these had been at rio janeiro on an island in the harbour and he had there killed his man on this occasion the barge being manned and i along we pulled over to the island in the thirty intervening years it must have changed greatly, for many buildings were now on it, but his memory evidently was busy in serving him well. He walked round meditatively, uttering a low, humming whistle, his hands in his pockets, his secretary and myself following. At last he reached a point where he stopped and mused for some moments, after which he went quietly and silently to the boat. Not a word passed from him to us during our stay, nor the subsequent pull to shore. But there can be little doubt where his thoughts were. It is right to add that on the occasion in question not only was the provocation all on the other side, but it was endured by him to the utmost that the standards of 1830 would permit. To my aidship also I owed a an unusual opportunity to see an incident of bygone times, the heaving down of a fair-sized ship of war. One of our sloops of some eight hundred tons burden, bound to China, had put into Rio for repairs, a leak of no special danger, but so near the keel as to demand examination. It might get worse. As yet Rio had no dry dock, and so she must be hove down. This operation, probably never known in these days, when dry docks are to be found in all quarters, consisted in heeling the ship over, by heavy purchases attached to the top of the lower masts, until the keel, or at least so much of the side as was necessary, was out of water. As the leverage on the masts was extreme, almost everything had to be taken out of the ship, guns included, to lighten her to the utmost, and the spars themselves were heavily backed, to bear the strain. The upper works, usually out of water, must on the downside be closed and protected against the proposed immersion. 
In short, preparation was minute as well as extensive. In the old days, when docks were rare, and long voyages would be made in regions without local resources, a ship would be hove down two or three times in a cruise, to clean her uncoppered bottom, or to see what damaged worms might be affecting. When frequently done, familiarity doubtless made it comparatively easy, but by 1859 it had become very exceptional. I have never seen another instance. She was taken to a sheltered cove in one of those picturesque bights which abound in the harbour of Rio, the most beautiful bay in the world, and there, in repeated visits by our flag officer, I saw most stages of the process. Technical details I will not inflict upon the reader, but uh, there was one amusing anecdote told me by our carpenter, who was, as a senior in his business, very much to the fore. Some general overhauling was also required, and among other things the sloop's captain pointed out that the sideboard in the cabin was not well secured. I have sometimes to get up two or three times in the night to see to it, he said. He had been one of the restored victims of the retiring board in 1855, and had the reputation of knowing that sideboards exist for other purposes than merely being secured. Hence, at uh, this pathetic remark, the carpenter caught a wink on the fly as it passed from the flag officer to the captain of the Congress and back again. The commander invalided soon after that, and the sloop went on her way to China under the charge of the first lieutenant. The flag officer, though not a man of particular distinction, possessed strongly that kind of individuality which among seamen of the days before steam, when the world was less small and less frequented, was more common than it is now, when we so cluster that, like shot in a barrel, we are rounded and polished by mere attrition. Formerly, characteristics had more chance to emphasize themselves and throw out angles, as I believe they still do, in long polar seclusions. Withal, there came from him from time to time a whiff of the naval atmosphere of the past, like that from a drawer where lavender has been. Going ashore once with him for a constitutional, he caught sight of a necktie which my fond mother had given me. It was black, yes, but with variations. Hm, he ejaculated. Don't wear a thing like that with me, you look like a privateersman. There spoke the rivalries of 1812. There had not been a privateersman in the United States for near half a century. A great chum of his was the senior surgeon of the frigate, a man near his own years. Leaving the ship together for a walk, the surgeon, crossing the deck, smudged his white trousers with paint or coal tar, the free application of which in unexpected places is one of the snares attending a well-appearing man-of-war. "'Never mind, doctor,' said the flag-officer, consolingly, falling back like Sancho Panza on an ancient proverb. "'Remember the two dirtiest things in the world are a clean ship and a clean soldier.' paint and pipe-clay, to wit. Another trait was an extensive, though somewhat mild, profanity, which took no account of ladies' presence, although he was almost exaggeratedly deferential to them, as well as cordially courteous to all. His speech was like his gait, tripping. I remember the arrival of the first steamer of a new French line to Rio. 
Steam mail service was there and then exceptional. Most of our home letters still came by sailing vessel. Consequently, this was an event, and brought the inevitable banquet. He was present, I also, as his aide, seated nearly opposite him, with two or three others of our officers. He was called to respond to a toast. "'Gentlemen and ladies,' he began. "'No, ladies and gentlemen, ladies always first, damn me!' What more he said I do not recall." although we all loyally applauded him many years afterwards when he was old and feeble an acquaintance of mine met him and he began to tell of the tombstone of some person in whom he was interested after various particulars he startled his auditor with the general descriptive coruscation it was covered with angels and cherubs and the hell knows what else it would be easily possible to overdraw the personal peculiarities of the seamen i remember nothing corresponding at all to the extravagances instanced in my early reading of colburn's such as a frigate's watch say one hundred and fifty men on liberty in portsmouth england buying up all the gold-laced cocked hats in the place and appearing with them at the theatre many however who have seen a homeward-bound ship leaving port the lower rigging of her three masts crowded with seamen from deck to top, returning roundly the cheers given by all the ships of war present, foreign as well as national, as she passes, have witnessed also the time-honoured ceremony of her crew throwing their hats overboard with the last cheer. This corresponded to the breaking of glasses after a favourite toast, or to the bursts of enthusiasm in a Spanish bull-ring where Andalusian caps fly by dozens into the arena. There, however, the bullfighter returns them with many bows, but those of the homeward bounders become the inheritance of the boatmen of the port. Midshipmen of the watch being stationed on the forecastle, my intimates among the crew were the staid seamen, approaching middle age, allotted there, where they would have least going aloft. The two captains of the forecastle, one, I shrewdly think, Dutch, the other English, though both had English names, would engage in conversation with me at times, mingling deference and conscious superior experience in due proportion. One, I remember, just before the War of Secession began, was greatly exercised about the coming troubles. The causes of the difficulty and the political complications disturbed him little but the probable prospect of the heads of the rebellion losing their property engrossed his mind he constantly referred to this it would be confiscated doubtless yet the assertion was an evident implied query to me to which i could give no positive answer as is known few of the seamen as of private soldiers in the army sympathized sufficiently with the confederacy to join it indeed the vaunt i have heard attributed to southern officers of the old navy which though never uttered in my ears was very consonant to the southern spirit as i then knew it that southern officers with yankee seamen could beat the world testified at least to the probable attitude of the latter in the war of sections considering the great naval names of the past preble hull decatur bainbridge stewart porter perry and macdonough the two most southern of whom came from delaware and maryland this antebellum assurance was to say the least self-confident but farragut was a southerner 
the other captain of the forecastle was less communicative taciturn by nature and there ran of him a story of amusing simplicity it occurred to him on one occasion that he would lay under contribution the resources of the ship's small library accordingly he went to the chaplain in whose care it was but as he was wholly in the dark as to what particular book he might like the chaplain after two or three tries suggested a life of paul jones yes he thought he would like that you see i was shipmates with him some cruises ago he was with me in the main top of the blank another forecastle intimate of mine was the boatswain who like most boatswains of that day had served his time before the mast as is the case with many self-made men he on his small scale was very conscious of the fact and of general consequent desert a favorite saying with him was thanks to my own industry and my wife's economy i am now well beforehand with the world like a distinguished officer higher in rank of that day of whom it was said that he remembered nothing later than eighteen thirteen my boatswain's memory dwelt much in the thirties though he acknowledged more recent experiences his attitude towards steam essentially conservative was strictly and amusingly official he had served on board one steamer the san jacinto and what had pleased him was that the yards could be squared and rigging hauled taut his own special function before entering port so that in those respects the job had been done when the anchor dropped one of his pet stories frequently brought forward concerned a schooner in which he had served in the earlier period and will appeal to those who know how dear a fresh coat of paint is to a seaman's heart she had just been thus decorated within and without and was standing into a west indian port to show her fine feathers when a sudden flaw of wind knocked her off and over dangerously close to a rocky point the first order given was stand clear of the paintwork an instance of the ruling passion strong in extremis he had another woesome account of a sloop of war in which he had gone through the straits of magellan the difficult navigation and bulky winds made the passage protracted for a sailing vessel all were put on short rations and the day before she entered a chilean port the bread-room was swept to the last crumbs i often could not sleep for hunger when i turned in in the same ship the watch officers falling short through illness or suspension the captain set a second lieutenant of marines to take a day watch being as he supposed put to do something he naturally wanted to do it if he only knew what it was and how it was to be done the master of the ship was named peter wager and to him when taking sights the marine appealed peter what's the use of being officer of the deck if you don't do anything tell me something to do well peter replied you might send all the watch aft and take in the mizzen royal the mizzen royal being the smallest of all sails requiring about two ordinary men and in no wise missed when in this was practical tales for the marines the boatswain afterwards saw the last of the congress when the merrimac or rather the virginia to give her her confederate name wasted time murdering a ship already dead aground and on fire he often afterwards spun me the yarn for i liked the old man and not infrequently went to see him in later days 
he had borne good-humouredly the testiness with which a youngster is at times prone to assert himself against what he fancies interference and i had appreciated the rebuke the congress disaster was a very big and striking incident in the career of any person and it both ministered to his self-esteem and provided the evening of his life with material for talk unhappily i have to confess as even boswell at times did i took no notes and cannot reproduce that which to me is of absorbing interest the individual impressions of a vivid catastrophe the boatswain was one of the four who in naval phrase were termed warrant officers in distinction from the lieutenants and those above who held their offices by commission the three others were the gunner carpenter and sailmaker names which sufficiently indicate their several functions in the hierarchical classification of the navy as then established by long tradition the midshipmen although on their way to a commission were warrant officers also and in consequence though they had a separate mess they had the same smoking place the effect of which in establishing a community of social intercourse every smoker will recognize i suppose if there had been three sides to a ship there would have been three smoking rendezvous but in the crude barbarism of those days as it will now probably be considered both commissioned and warrant officers had no place to smoke except a way forward on the gun-deck the eyes of the ship as the spot was appropriately named the superiors on the honor side which on the gun-deck was the port the midshipmen and warrant officers on the starboard the position was not without advantages when riding head to wind in hot tropical weather but uh, under way close hauled with a stiff breeze a good deal of salt water found its way in especially if the jackasses were in the hawse holes but under such conditions we sat there serenely the water coursing in a flowing stream under our chairs if the ship had a steady heel or rushing madly from side to side if she lurched to windward the stupidity of it was that we didn't even know we were uncomfortable and by all sound philosophy were so far better off than our better accommodated successors what was more annoying was the getting forward at night when the hammocks were in place but even for that occasional compensations offered i remember once when making this awkward journey hearing a colloquy between two young seamen just about to swing themselves into bed at nine o'clock i say bill said one with voluptuous satisfaction two watches in and beans to-morrow can any philosophy soar higher than that in contentment with small things plain living and high thinking diogenes wasn't in it as the warrant officers of the ship were of the generation before us we heard from their lips many racy and entertaining experiences of the former navy most of which naturally have escaped me while others i have dropped all along the line of my preceding reminiscences where they seem to come in aptly each of the four had very different characteristics and i fancy they did not agree very well together all have long since gone to their rest peace be with them four is an awkwardly small number for a mess-table of equals friction is emphasized by narrowness of sphere i didn't like the man said the boatswain afterwards to me of the sailmaker narrating the destruction of the congress but he is brave brave as can be 
getting the wounded over the side to put them ashore, he was as cool as though nothing had happened. The great guns weren't so bad, he continued, but the rifle bullets that came singing along in clouds like mosquitoes. Ah! He used to snap each time he told me the tale, slapping his ears right and left as one does at the hum of those intrusive insects. He did not like the carpenter either, for reasons of another kind. They were both humorists, but of a different order. Indeed, I don't think that the boatswain, though strictly sardonic in expression, suspected himself of humor, but he really came at times pretty close to wit, if that be a perception of incongruities, as I have heard said. He was telling me one day of some mishap that befell a vessel, wherein the officer in charge showed the happy blending of composure and ignorance we sometimes find, a condition concerning which a sufferer once said of himself, I never open my mouth, but I put my foot in it. A confusion of metaphor and suggestion of physical contortion, not often so neatly combined in a dozen words. The boatswain commented, he didn't mind, he didn't know what to do, but there he stood, looking all the time as happy as a duck barefooted. A duck shod, in the consequent expression of its countenance, presents to my mind infinite entertainment. Our first lieutenant, under whom immediately he worked, was a great trial to him. He was an elderly man, as first lieutenants of big ships were then, great with the paintbrush and tar-pot, traces of which were continually surprising one's clothes, mighty also in that lavish swashing of sea-water which is called washing decks, and in the tropics is not so bad. But otherwise, while he was one of the kindliest of men's, the go was pretty well out of him. Yes, the boatswain used to say grimly, he seldom smiled, the first lieutenant is like an old piece of soap, half wore out. Go day, come day, God send Sunday. That's he. The carpenter, on the other hand, was always on a broad grin, or rather roar. He breathed farce, both in story and feature. Unlike the boatswain, who was middle-sized and very trig, as well as scrupulously neat, the carpenter was over six feet, broad in proportion, with big, round, red, close-shaven face, framed with abundance of white hair. He looked not unlike one's fancies of the typical English yeoman, while withal having a strong Yankee flavor. Wearing always a frock coat, buttoned up as high as any one then buttoned, he carried with it a bluff heartiness of manner, which gave an impression of solidity, not, I fear, wholly sustained on demand. There was uh, no such doubt about the fun, however, or his own huge enjoyment of his own stories, accompanied by a running fire of guffaws, which pointed the appreciation we easily gave. But it was all of the same character, broad farce, accounts of mishaps such as befall in children's pantomimes, which their seniors enjoy, too, practical jokes equally ludicrous, and resulting situations to match. Comical as such tales were at the time, and many a pleasant pipeful of Lynchburg tobacco in Powhatan clay, though they whiled away, they lacked the catching and fixing power of the boatswain's shrewd sayings. I can remember distinctly only one, of two small midshipmen, shipmates of his in a sloop of war of long-gone days, who had a deadly quarrel, calling for blood. 
a duel ashore might in those times have been arranged unknown to superiors they often were but the necessity for speedy satisfaction was too urgent and they could not wait for the end of the voyage consequently they determined to fight from the two ends of the spritsail yard a horizontal spar which crossed the bowsprit end and gave or could admit the required number of paces seconds i presume were omitted they might have attracted unnecessary attention and on the yard would have been in the way of shot unless they sat behind their several principals like damsels on a pillion so these two mites procuring each a loaded pistol crawled out quietly to their respective places straddled the yard and were proceeding to business when the boatswain caught sight of them from his frequent standpoint between the night-heads he ran out got between them in the line of fire and from this position of tactical advantage having collared first one and then the other brought them both in on the forecastle, where he knocked their heads together the last action i fancy must be considered an embellishment necessary for the dramatic completeness of the incident though it may at least be admitted it would not have been incongruous in telling this occurrence which punctuated by his own laughter bore frequent repetition the carpenter used to give the names of the heroes one i have forgotten the other i knew in after life and middle age still small of stature with a red face in outline much like a paroquet's he was not a bad fellow but his first lieutenant a very competent critic used to say that what he did not know of seamanship would fill a large book at first thought it seems somewhat singular that the six lieutenants of the ship presented no such aggregate of idiosyncrasies as did the four warrant officers it was not by any means because we did not know them well and mingle among them with comparative frequency midshipmen who travelled from one side to the other here at home their guests but to both admitted freely but come to think of it more widely the distinction i here note must have had a foundation in conditions my acquaintance with marriott who lived the naval life as no other sea author has is now somewhat remote but was once intimate as well as extensive and recollection deceives me if the same remark does not apply to his characters he had a full gallery of captains and lieutenants each differing from the other but his greatest successes in portrayal those which take hold of the memory are his warrant officers boatswains gunners and carpenters the british navy did not give sailmakers this promotion by-products though they are rather than leading characters boatswain chucks whom marriott uh, takes off the stage midway as though too much to sustain to the end carpenter muddle and gunner tallboys with his aspirations toward navigating sketched but briefly and in bold outline as they are survive most of their superiors in clear individuality and amusing eccentricity peter simple and even jack easy himself whose traits are more personal than nautical are less vivid to memory a cooper also who caricatures rather than reproduces life seeks here his fittest subjects bolt rope and trysail warrant masters uh, superior in grade indeed to the others but closely identified with them on board ship and essentially of the same class such coincidence betokens a more pronounced individuality in the subject matter there have been particular eccentric commissioned officers of whom quaint stories have descended 
but in early days originality was the class mark of those of whom i am speaking as many an anecdote witnesses i fancy few will have seen this which i picked up in my miscellaneous nautical readings a boatswain who had been with cook in his voyages chanced upon one of those fervent methodist meetings common in the eighteenth century the preacher an illustration of the abundance of the divine mercy affirmed that there was hope for the worst even for the boatswain of a man-of-war whereupon the boatswain sprang to the platform and administered a drubbing true or not offence and punishment testify to public estimate as to the character and action to a natural exaggeration of feature which lends itself readily to reproduction this was due probably to a more contracted sphere in early life and afterwards less of that social opportunity in the course of which angular projections are rounded off and personal peculiarities softened by various contact the same cause would naturally occasion more friction and disagreement among themselves thus the several lieutenants of our frigate call for no special characterization if egotism the most amusing of traits where it is not offensive existed among them to any unusual degree it was modified and concealed by the acquired exterior of social usage their interests also were wider with them talk was less of self and personal experience and more upon subjects of general interest professional or external the outlook was wider but while all this tended to make them more instructive and in so far more useful companions it also took from the salt of individuality somewhat of its pungency it did not fall to them either to become afterwards especially conspicuous in the nearing war of secession they were good seamen and gallant men knew their duty and did it but either opportunity failed them or they failed opportunity from my knowledge of them probably the former as nelson once wrote a sea officer cannot form plans like those of a land officer his object is to embrace the happy moment which now and then offers it may be this day not for a month and perhaps never so also farragut is reported to have said of a conspicuous shortcoming every man has one chance he has had his and lost it certainly by failure that man lost promotion with its chances it is somewhat congruous to this train of thought that smith whom i have so often mentioned said one day to me if i had a son he was unmarried i would put him in the navy without hesitation i believe there is a day coming shortly when the opportunities for a naval officer will exceed any that our country has yet known he did not say what contingencies he had in mind scarcely those of the war of secession large looming though it already was for like most of us he doubtless refused to entertain that sorrowful possibility as with many a prophecy his was of wider scope than he thought and though in part fulfilled more yet remains on the lapse of the gods he himself perhaps the ablest of this group was cut off too early to contribute more than an heroic memory but that must live in naval annals enshrined in his father's phase along with craven's after you pilot when the tecumseh sank end of chapter five